0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. Well, it's Monday, and that means it's time for our Zoomer squad. And there is a very worrying development, as you heard in Bob's news, and that is the big spike in cases. Over 300 today for the first time in months. And while those new cases are concentrated among young people, this obviously has implications for Zoomers. And what of long-term care? The restrictions have just been eased, but will this lead to having them rolled back? I'd like to hear from you. 416-3600740, toll-free 1866 740-4740. Also this weekend, Aline Chrétien, wife of former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, passed away at the age of 84. Let's begin. By remembering her, I'd like to bring in the Zoomer squads, David Kravit, Bill Van Gorder, the interim, uh, the interim chief policy officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hi, everyone.
2: Hi. Everybody. Good afternoon.
1: Okay. Well, let us begin with David. And David, I forgot to give your title. You are the <laughs> VP of Zoomer Media and the Chief Marketing Officer at CARP. Um what does the passing of Aline Chrétien make you
3: remember? Well, it makes me remember a lot of things because I think for the Zoomer generation, um, he was a very big force, and she, along with him, I think Jean Chrétien famously said that uh, his wife was not the power behind the throne. She was a co-occupant of the throne, and she was uh, she was a woman of many talents. And I you try to think of the the life of both of them coming from modest beginnings in Shewinigan, uh, to world-level players. And so I think that she probably um, gave him uh, a lot of advice, but also a lot of strength, because his career was, you know, fairly fairly turbulent, as all of them were at that time, with uh, the crisis in Confederation, the the, uh, with the future Liberal Party after Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He was, he was at the center of a lot of Uh, Firestorms, and I think uh, the consensus is that she was a very important, uh, perhaps calming, uh, perhaps second opinion type of person for him. So uh, she had a very uh, distinguished uh, career and will be missed.
1: Uh, Yeah, but on the other hand, uh, and he gave her a lot of credit, she shunned the the limelight. And, you know, from a feminist perspective, you know, she was happy to take a backseat to him. She went back to, she went again when he was in Ottawa and raised the kids. Uh, So, in a lot of ways, a very traditional role, Peter.
4: Yeah, and and that's why... um, you know, she may be remembered as sort of the last of the old school political wives, you know, the ones who stood by their husbands in public and kept out of controversy and, you know, um, absolutely avoided the headlines, unlike uh, the current PM's wife, who is the exact opposite to um, I Eileen. Mean, and, you know,. Uh, Parties with uh, F1 drivers in England, and you know, so so there's there's a big generational difference there, and and I think I, I think Eileen might be remembered as the last of the old school. Political wives.
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, uh, Margaret Trudeau preceded her, and she was hardly You're old right. <laughs> school. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm I'm not sure that that uh, you know what the line of old school. Though I guess you know uh, Paul Martin, his big rival, uh, his wife was also, I guess, an old school political wife. Uh, Bill, do you have thoughts on Aline?
2: Yeah. Well, there are two things that uh, strike me. Uh, uh, the first uh, uh, somewhat humorous uh, uh, the story we all heard and enjoyed when the man broke into their right. uh, yeah. residence in Ottawa yeah. Yeah. and she grabbed an Inuit carving and, and protected her husband until <laughs> the <laughs> RCMP came. And that shows no wonder he called her his Rock of Gibraltar. Rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> but right. also, um, I think because of her, Craig Chen was the first prime minister, to name a woman as a head of the Supreme Court, and to name a woman as Deputy Prime Minister. So uh, she really was an influence, a positive influence for, for women, even though behind the scenes.
1: Okay, and I remember, this is, this is going to sound quite silly, I remember the day that she got a hole-in-one on the golf course. Huh. <laughs> and if that was all anybody on Parliament Hill, I, I believe it was when I was on Parliament Hill, was talking about. And I think he mentioned it in the House. Not sure.
4: Funny. Uh,
1: so, yeah, um, moving along, this very worrying development, uh, we have over 300 cases today, and the numbers have been doubling. What does this mean for Zoomers? Even though this spike seems to be among young people, David,
3: I think that it's. I think that the real fear here is going to be whether the bubble spills back over into into the Zoomers, and I think that that's the big worry. I think if a lot of young people are uh, congregating and uh, quickly creating mutual uh, infection or you know contagion back and forth so that you're seeing a spike. Um, the question is, do they then go back home? Where are they being isolated? How are we protecting the population that is most vulnerable? Because if you knew that all of these younger people are going to survive this and are going to be fine, I'm not saying you would be indifferent to it or not care about it, but you'd have a very different response than if you thought that they're now going to fan out back into the wider community and that – um older people who have been so assiduously trying to protect themselves are suddenly going to be hit with potential, uh, you know, infected people or contagious people. That's the worry. Where does it lead from here? And I don't uh, have a good answer, except it's up to every one of us and our listeners to be very, very careful about expanding our bubble.
1: Uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, most younger people uh, do fare better, but not all of them. A lot of them ended up in hospital and with very serious consequences. So, uh, I, you know, the public health authorities have been warning younger people, hey, don't take this as a nothing. Yep. Bill, what about long-term care? What are the worries there?
2: Well, with long-term care, of course, uh, as the rates uh, go up and, and climb dramatically in Ontario, uh, really concerned about what this is going to mean to long term cares loosening up on their restrictions because there's been a a real dichotomy of of issues around how do we allow our older adults in long term care to live a proper and and uh, and useful life where they can where they can uh, flourish uh, Rather than under the strong restrictions that really created health and mental problems with uh, many of them, so as the as the rates go up outside, it's going to put pressure again on long term care facilities, and and seniors' card members are very concerned that it is the younger people who are really inconsistent or actually ignoring uh, restrictions. The last survey I saw showed. of people were still not strongly fighting and doing the things they had to do to uh, control uh, COVID. All of this creates real worry for our older adults.
1: Uh, I'd like to give the numbers out again, and and people, like, be a little patient. If you call in, I will get to your calls. And especially if you have been to a long-term care home recently, what did you find there? Did you see... Any difference in things, and are you feeling comfortable, or are you uh, worried about what might happen next? The numbers, four one six three six zero zero seven forty, toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. And uh, Peter, I mean, I'm I'm also wondering about you know kind of a generational antipathy as a result of this. What, what do you see there?
4: Yeah, well, um, I, I I guess the big problem is that um, young people just aren't scared of getting it. Like it, it, the overwhelming majority, it has you know don't even show symptoms when they have it. They they have you know they don't have to go to hospitals. Some do, but most don't. So and and they've been they've been at it now since March, and it's hard to keep them focused on the goal because while well, they're going back to school now. You know, they're getting back together with their friends. They, in their minds, you know, they've done their bit, and it's time to move on with their lives. And uh, so I, I can understand their, their viewpoint, but it's not really conducive to um, eliminating this pandemic. Are,
1: are you finding that in your own son? Um, you know
4: he's he's quite good, but you know he he's back to school now, and and he he just wants to hang around with his friends, and and he wants to you know he he rented the ice the other day to play hockey, and those kind of things are good for him, and and I you know I'm very supportive, but also there's that chance that uh, you know are we letting our guard down? Are we letting him do too many things? So I, again, it's like everything with this pandemic where you just. You just don't know how much you can do. You don't know where to stop. You don't. You know. It, it's just the, the 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 sort of fear that lingers on everything you do. Yeah.
1: David, do you see this as exacerbating tension between the generations?
3: I'm not. I'm not yet certain because there's different data. So on the one hand, the older generations, and there are several surveys, including one we recently completed with the Zoomer Magazine readers that the older generations are taking this in their stride actually better and are less anxious about it than <clears throat> the younger generations and i remember Libby would be very early in this back in march or april we had a topic on this show about you know are these zoomers too complacent about it and why aren't they more worried about it and people getting angry at zoomers for not treating it seriously so i think that there's there's a difference there but i think it's really we've reached a point now but this has been going on for so long that a one-size-fits-all sort of centralized decree or solution is just not on the cards anymore, and it's going to be increasingly up to individuals to police their own bubbles, to be aware of who they're seeing, who they're not seeing, who they're coming close to, and there's not going to be a government policy that will be a better substitute for individual vigilance, I'm afraid
1: hmm That's interesting. Uh, I really find that interesting because, you know, you look at the numbers, the authorities are, are warning us about it, and, and I'm going to have more on that coming up in the second half of the show. So you wonder, is this the second wave? We would have thought that it wouldn't have hit yet, but you never know. I mean, uh, it's over 300 cases today, Bill.
2: Over 300 cases, and Here. 70% of them are under 40.
1: Well, exactly. And you're in the Maritimes, Bill, where it's it seems to be a COVID-free zone.
2: Well, it, it is. Nova Scotia has uh, only one existing case that's still under treatment, and that person isn't even in the, the hospital. The other Atlantic provinces are uh, similar. Uh, but with children just going back to school, the university students coming back, uh, five university students in the province of Nova scotia were fined by the RCMP for not following the following the rules back when they were back to school a uh, couple of students have been uh, have been kicked out of university and sent home because of it so uh, there is a real crackdown but you know D- David's right it's it we, we've got to start looking at the individual areas and not try to uh, have a cookie cutter approach where one uh, one uh, solution fits uh, everybody. And that's that's where uh, we're really concerned about what's going to happen in uh, long term care homes because where we have those now well under control it would it would be very difficult and not good for the mental health of the people living in them if we increase the restrictions again
1: okay let's take a call from bill in brampton hello bill
3: yes good morning lady uh, i'm a senior and the way i'm looking at it right now 70% of the people that are getting infected are under 40, this is the same age group that have kids that are going to school. It's the same age group that are complaining about the government not doing enough to make the school safe. Yet, they're the ones that are getting infected. So to me, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Hmm. I mean, if you're under 40 and you can't behave yourself to make it safe for your kids, your parents, Your grandparents, then don't complain about the government not doing enough. Uh, It's that age group that is not doing enough, that's putting everybody in danger.
1: Okay, Bill, thanks for your perspective.
3: Thank you. You're welcome.
1: Okay, well, that's interesting because, you know, David, when I said, is this uh, increasing tension between the generations, among the generations, I was thinking, are you young people going to be mad at old people for taking up resources and cramping their style but hey what what we just saw there is is the other direction yes
3: yes if if i'm highly vulnerable and i'm now in my seventh month of uh, protection and masks and social distancing and so forth and i see a an unnecessarily uh, an unnecessarily influx concentrated in a certain area And you'll recall the discussion we had months ago, it seems now, with the uh, Trinity Bellwoods Park weekend where everybody went to the park and got, you know, spread it around. Um, Those big surges are, I think, flashpoints for conflict, not only between generations, but between maybe urban versus rural and so on. But to to Bill's point earlier, it's so important to understand how unevenly spread this problem is. If there's about 9,000 fatalities in Canada, about just under 6,000 in Quebec, just under 3,000 in Ontario, 2,900, I think, of this morning, the next highest province is B.C., which has got about 300, like a 10th. And then it goes down from there. So this is a two-province pandemic, if you really want to look at it, because if you, if you were running British Columbia and you knew ahead of time, seven months ago, that only 300 people were going to die in your province, you never would have locked the whole thing down. In well, a million
1: years. I'm, I'm not so sure because they now have some tougher restrictions than we yes, do. I know they're, they're closing, the, closing yeah. bars early, which the yeah. mayor of Toronto would, would like to see here. And, and now I, I want to ask about enforcement because, and some of the rules seem contradictory. So, On the one hand, you're supposed to stick to your social bubble, and when it comes to social gatherings, there's a cap of 50. So I've heard people complain that they've seen or uh, their tenants have parties of, you know, 20, 30 people in a very small space not being masked, and they try to call the cops or the bylaw officers or whoever, and they say, there's nothing we can do, fewer than 50 people. Yep. Who wants to take that?
4: Well, in... in, um you know, on the other side of that, in, in Quebec, they actually have they have these sort of – they haven't really described what they are, but they have these detainment centers where they can send people who aren't abiding by, um, you know, the COVID restrictions without, uh, you know, without going to court or anything. You know, they're just being sent off to these really? detainment centers. Yeah. Oh. So um, I don't know how often they've used it. I've know, I know the, the – um, the Quebec City, um, uh, you know, uh, a public health director said they've used it once or twice. So, uh, you know, that's the yeah, that's the flip side of it, the scary side of it. But uh, um, like, there aren't enough bylaw officers to enforce every single party in Toronto, every single party in Ontario, much less Canada. So again, it's it's you know, it's it's up to the individual to to police themselves, and if they're not, um, there's there's. Limited, uh, resources to, to stop them.
1: Right but but it it looks like they don't even have the legal tools if it's if it's a party of under 50 people or somebody's not briefed right I'm presumably if it's a gathering of 50 people it's requiring social distancing but what we've heard stories about you know enforcers being called and it is saying sorry can do nothing so is is there still a problem David with the rules being kind of unclear or inconsistent
3: well, I think I think the rules cannot be really framed so as to be consistent because you're trying to capture too many different situations: fifty people at a cookout in a park, fifty people in a high school gym, or on a patio with social distancing, or fifty people in a little rec room. I mean, it's the devil's in the details. You know? right. Who are who are those people? And what are they doing and how many of them have been tested and you you can't possibly uh, cover every eventuality in your rules and your regulations so you tend to go for the most extreme which i think is rational let's let's stop the really extreme ones but on the other hand um how can you cover every situation you don't know the dimensions of every living room you know how many people are sitting where are they who are they how old are they Try and write a set of regulations. That's why I keep coming back to, I don't want a broken record on this, it's up to really each individual, especially in our age group, to assume that the rules aren't going to help you very much. Watch your own bubble. Watch your own, uh, take, take precautions to protect yourself. Uh,
1: yeah, but it, it, it might mean uh, just uh, almost isolating yourself.
3: Well, uh, I think so. I think if your life, if you perceive that your life is at stake, especially now, we're only into the first day or two. We I talked about my little grandson uh, before on the show. He starts school tomorrow. They're staggering his school. It starts. School started. Uh, it starts uh, tomorrow. He goes Wednesday, so they're you know phasing it in. We'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm going to be very watchful about how is he doing. Did anybody else in his class get sick? Uh, how often can I see him? I see him about once a week. Can I keep it that way? Should I change it? Uh, I'm assuming that I'm on my own, and I've got to watch out and be careful. What about your daughter, the teacher? Well, she isn't, She has not uh, gone back to a full-time um, contract, yet she wants to sit it out and uh, see what happens for the first month. Her big worry is um, all the other teachers, all the other bubbles, all the other classrooms... You know, we were talking about uh, personal care workers in nursing homes visiting multiple homes. How about supply teachers going to ten different schools? Mm -hmm. And what are they carrying with them? And who's been in what school? When it's you know the dominoes start falling, it gets very uh, very complicated really fast.
1: yeah, I mean, uh, the last couple of weeks we we've, we've been talking about back to school, and here we are at, at least here in Ontario. It's it's just starting, and we're seeing this this spike already. And it it's not even related to schools, Peter.
4: No, um, and you know, uh, uh, Dr. Frost from um, the University uh, Health Network tweeted that it's time to close restaurants and bars before we have to close schools. So, um, you know, it's all very ominous and uh and I, I you know, I I suppose it you know, we have to err on the side of safety, but this is bad news for for businessmen again.
1: Oh yeah and uh the the city meanwhile keeps saying well we're we're doing everything we can to keep patios open longer they're allowing heaters on the on the patio mm-hmm. it's already i have to uh, say uh, my husband and I were at a a lovely uh you know in the street patio restaurant on the weekend and you know it was already kind of chilly for yeah. me <laughs>
4: <laughs> and windy too <laughs>
1: It was very nice, uh, brought an extra, you know, shawl, but, uh, you know, when they're talking about, hey, maybe this can last into early November, uh, I don't know about that. No,
4: no. I mean, the wind was whipping menus around when I saw it, so, you know, we're, we're getting to the, to the time when it, it, it has to be indoors or nothing, you know.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of people are kind of, uh, you know, in denial about that. This is, after all, Canada. Uh, but it, it's, uh you know, it, it I, and it, it's interesting to me that Zoomers have very individual kind of rules, because I know restaurant owners were worried that in terms of opening inside, they said, you know, our baby boomer clients won't come. But I've seen actually quite a few inside. And then there are some that won't even go to patios. I mean, it's Everybody seems to kind of try to find their own way. And I wonder if people will pull back now that we're seeing this spike, Bill.
2: Probably, uh, they will. There's, there's, uh, a real split. A number of organizations have just recently done surveys of their, their members, their patrons, uh, theaters being one, uh, one group trying to find out who will come back. And of course the theater patrons tend for the most part to be the same age demographic as we have in CARP. And there's almost a straight 50-50 split of people who are ready to come back if there's Mask wearing and social distancing in theaters, and there's people who won't come back until well after there's a a vaccine. So I think in our older age group, we're seeing uh, there there is not a consistent uh, comfort with uh, with whether or not they're going to go back to uh, theaters or restaurants or other public public places.
1: Hmm. You know, that's really interesting, Bill. I'm surprised that actually 50% of CARP members or Zoomers are willing to go back to the theater. That's more than I well, would that's have what, thought.
2: That's what, the, that's what the, theater, the surveys that the theaters doing, are doing are, are showing at this point.
1: Okay. Well, I find that very interesting. We are just about out of time. So I'm going to wrap things up by giving each of you a, a a chance to uh give us a final thought. Let's start with Peter.
4: Yeah, so uh, over the next few weeks I'll be following the liberals uh well, I guess their their caucus meeting is not about uh, the recovery plan, but as, as they hatch their recovery plan to see what sort of uh you know, what sort of themes emerge and and one of them that's being kicked around is basic income and uh You know, it's an idea that's been tried before uh, in small uh, segments, but um, it'll be interesting to see whether they actually go for that this time around.
3: Okay, David? Well, I think we're reaching the point where the advice we're getting from the health authorities is what they have to say. It's the right thing to say. But the ability to really wrap our hands around this whole thing is getting harder and harder because of the huge variations from region to region of how many people have got this and how many people have died from this. And so we're now reaching the point where you've got an inpatient public, you've got uncertain health authorities, you've got regulations that cannot cover each situation. So I urge, again, everybody to be very vigilant, um, to make sure you know how to get tested if you do need to get tested, and to, be, uh, and to protect yourself, because I don't think there's going to be one new, you know, pronunciamento that's suddenly going to fix everything. I think that's a dream. Okay, and Bill?
2: I think uh, David is is right. Uh, we're uh, hearing from public health officials, and if we look back, we can see that really changing public attitudes towards doing anything to do with their health. We saw that we saw and see this in the whole flu vaccine area. We see it in in the uh, non smoking smoke uh, uh, free public places campaigns that went on a number of years ago. That people will own will really only change their actions when we change their attitudes and they change their attitudes, it is back to uh, individuals to use their uh, peer pressure in their uh, uh, communities to make sure that uh, uh, the rules are not all followed. Uh, Hard laws and uh, regulations by government obviously aren't cutting it.
1: Okay. That is all the time we have for this segment. Thank you so much, Peter Mugridge, Bill Van Gorder, and David Kravitz. We'll talk to you again next week.
0: Okay, thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.